So hey, everybody. Um, what you saw there uh, are some people who live in this city, uh, who lived on the streets or in hotels or in cars in this particular city. Uh, what you saw there were people who wanted their story to be told. Those were people who wanted you and I to know that there are people who live in this city, uh, who live in hotels, who live in cars, in Walmart parking lots, who sleep under bridges, some sleep in the stars, some sleep in tents. Uh, every night, every day, uh, this is their life. You saw a family with kids. Um, you saw, well, there's a lot to the stories. I know all of those stories. and. Because all of those stories are people, their lives, the people that I've grown to love and care for. Um, I want you to forget about the three E part. Um, I want you to forget the organization. Uh, I want you to forget everything that you saw in regards to that, and I want you to remember those folks. Uh, and then we'll come back to the actual organization because that has a little bent to my own conviction. So I am, uh, I know many of you, uh, and many of you I don't know, so for those who I haven't had the pleasure to know, uh, I'm uh, one of the pastors of Weaver Christian Church, and uh, I'm connected to that organization as well. Uh, should I pull a mic? Is that, should I just take it off? Is that okay? Okay. I don't, I'm too fidgety for mics, but I'll do my best. All right, so, um, oh, that's going to feedback. All right, I have no skills, <laughs> um, apparently. I've never done this before. Uh, so about, oh man, how long have I been doing this now? Uh, we'll just say, we'll just, we'll just do it this way. So I was a campus minister for eight years, and my wife and I had to do a planning ministry in Columbus, Georgia. Uh, it was a college ministry that grew out of a coffee house Bible study. Uh, we were just doing some things there, and people came to want to know Jesus, and people came to know Jesus, and so then it grew out, and we went on campus and started just kind of moving it out there, because most of these folks were college students, and so we just kept doing our thing out there, and that kept growing. It was this really beautiful, life-giving thing, uh, and then after seeing God do some pretty amazing things there, my wife and I moved to University of Georgia, uh, where God is desperately needed um, at UGA. Uh, my wife would say that as an Auburn grad, so we went there, and we were a part of rebuilding some ministry there. Now, here's how this works. So my wife was, uh, well, first off, just because I, I, I need to apologize to those of you who actually um, gather with WCC, because I told this story two and a half weeks ago, or not two and a half weeks ago, because that would mean we did it on Wednesday. That doesn't make sense. Um, I have issues. So uh, it, would be, it would have been two weeks ago or maybe three weeks ago. Um, so if you've heard this before, just pretend like you haven't. Um, so here's what happened. My wife and I, she's pregnant, like big pregnant um, with a baby because that's what pregnancies are. And, and so we were uh, doing life with this church. And every Wednesday night, they would do spaghetti dinners. And in these spaghetti dinners, uh, which is about as church thing you can do, is they would waste the spaghetti that didn't get eaten. And so I thought... Well, I knew some friends, and I'd met some people who lived out in tents in Athens, Georgia, in some of the, some of the wooded areas. I thought, well, let's just uh, let's take them to leftover spaghetti. And so I bought some clamshells, uh, which are the styrofoam deals. wasn't very ecologically conscious, um, but that was a long time ago, um, and I'm, I'm smarter and wiser now. Uh, but that's what we did, and we filled them up, and we took them to our friends. Now, my wife, uh, again, was pregnant, and she was, like, super big pregnant. 
Um, and she's not here, so I can I can be like honest with the adjectives that were required <laughs> to explain just how pregnant Allison was. For those of you who know Allison, this did not happen. <laughs> what I'm saying. All right, so um, so she would like you know we would walk down in the bridge, and she'd have to do this thing, right? And she's trying to hold spaghetti and the baby, and I'm holding spaghetti, hoping she doesn't fall. And we did this every Wednesday night, and we would just drop it off to people who were living there, and we wouldn't you know no bait and switch garbage, like no hey man come to our Bible study, come church, like here's food, eat food, we'll eat food, we'll eat food, let's eat food, and sometimes we would share meals with them. And so after doing this for a little while, uh, Allison got to the point where she couldn't do it anymore because of the pregnant thing. And so I had an intern and in our campus ministry, and I decided that he needed to do more than, like, make coffees and, and, and get me coffee. So, because um, that's what, is that not right? Like, that's not what, is that, that's not what interns, that's not what interns do. Um, they do real ministry. Um, so, so this guy, he was like, Let, let's go with me. We'll, we'll go do this thing together. And so we grabbed it up, we loaded it up, we went down. And it was just he and I, and we would do the same thing, because again, I was going to do it. And now we started meeting other friends through them in other areas. So now we had more than like one route, right? Like, so now we needed to go visit them. And so we started going to these different places. And it finally just started getting a little bigger than me and Solomon, who was intern. And so we were always talking at UGA to college students. I was always talking to them about, like, this is where you are. Like, this is where you are for now. I don't know where you're going to be three years from now, five years from now, some of you six years from now, some of you, you know, three and a half years from now. Um, but this was where, this was where you are. That's what I would say to him. And so I asked him if they wanted to join me in Solomon in taking food to some of these friends of ours. And so they did. Uh, and we were about a student ministry, about 150 or so at this point. And it was, you know, three students, four students, 10 students, 20 students, 30 students, two teams, three teams. Um, lots of spaghetti, and, and under bridges, in the wooded areas, um, people high on crack, um, just crazy stuff happening. We had all sorts of protocols, um, really crazy stories on that, but that's, a, that's another night. Um, and so we would go, and eventually after doing this for about six months, um, we would do this, by the way, Thanksgiving um, week, holiday weeks. When the students were out, some would literally stay back, and some would drive back into Athens just to do this and then go home. Like that's how much this started to matter, right? Because uh, home started getting redefined. All right. So after about six months, one of my friends who lived in the wooded areas, her name was Patty. She was like the matriarch of the homelessness community, right? And she was gruff, and she was rough, and... She looked at me and she goes, why, why the hell do y'all keep coming back out here? And that's how she talked. Um, and I said, you know, I didn't know what to say at first. I, I was like, well, because we, like y'all, are, are we friends? Like we're friends. Um, like, will you be my friend? Um, like we're friends. And she said, and I can't do the voice again because it's too scratchy, but she said to me, most of the time, people come out and do this on sort of a, a pep rally kind of way, and then they stop. But you guys have done it now for six months, and I'm just wondering when it's going to stop. And I said, well, it'll stop when you're no longer living here. And that's exactly what happened. Over that course of time, Patty came to know Christ. <laughs> so my theology is that if a person becomes a Christian, 
uh, I have an obligation to them that is even different than to others who aren't. And, and for those of you who don't know what that kind of understand the tension that I'm about to explain, here's my thought. The way the Bible seems to work is that people who come into the family of faith now become family of faith, but not to my brother and sister. And I can't leave my brother and sister out on the street. It's bad enough that I have to walk by enough people who live out on the street. And so we we're trying to get all of them off the street, but some of them didn't want to go off the street. But when they came into Christ, I had to, we had to figure it out. So then the college students and I, we started calling every alum of the campus ministry we knew, and we started raising money. To college students, we were raising money. Um, we were doing car washes um, and cookie sales. We were calling alumni who graduate, right, from the campus ministry, I'm, I'm prepping you here, um, and saying, give us some money, yo, like you own, like you, you get big boy money now, like give us, you got big boy money, give us money, um, because we got work to do, and they started giving us money, and we started housing these folks, and they came into faith, and they started coming on Sunday mornings, and before you know it, like I'm not, I'm not exaggerating, like the, the pews were starting to get filled with people who were once on the street who are now housed, and it was college students doing all this stuff. Like, we were chasing down Department of Social Services, IDs, like, birth certificates. Like, we were like a bunch of, like, social service working missionaries, man. Like, that's where we were at. And they started changing the city. And when I left UGA to go to Texas, um, which is another country, um, <laughs> all together, um, you know, um, yeah, that's right, like, Texas, all right? Like, like, that's, like that's the thing. Like, when we, when we went to that country... Um, this ministry kept going like the college students kept doing this thing and they didn't even name it like it was just a thing we do on Wednesday nights <laughs> it was incredible and when we left we had been able we saw so many people come to Christ off the streets and come into houses and I need you to understand that coming into a house uh, coming to Christ was not a prerequisite to getting a house like we were ready to house everybody man but then there was a particular kind of obligation though for the church I thought, especially churches didn't really want much to do with these folks, when they came to Christ. So it was kind of like a, like a leverage that had to be pulled to the leadership of that church and say, look, they were our responsibility. When we started doing this and people started coming into the family of faith, we had so many people that we had to hire one of my former student leaders to send him to seminary because he felt a call to come back and be the minister of, and pastor of discipling these folks who came off the streets. Now, here's what I'll tell you that was like, I don't know how many years ago, but let's just say um, 15 years ago. Five years ago, my church family that I'm part of now, we started doing the same thing. And it grew to a point where other churches wanted to know how to do the same thing. And so I had to start a nonprofit to facilitate that effort because I'm a pastor and I didn't have time to train other pastors, other churches to do this. That was five years ago, and that thing was 3E Restoration Incorporated. And it's the same kind of thing. And now 3E, um, and, I'm, and I'm not doting, I'm trying to give you a narrative here, but I need you because I need your imaginations to expand, dude. I need your imagination to expand. 3E is now in Dallas, in, the, in Dallas, in the great nation of Texas. 3E is in San Francisco, California. 3E is in Mississippi, in Georgia. Um, 3E is in uh, a handful of cities in Virginia. And it's this national thing. It's about to be in Canada, which is crazy because it's cold <laughs> in Canada. Um, and here's what you need to know. The heart of 3E, at the end of the day when you back it out, the heart of 3E started through college students who took their calling of place seriously, who actually believed 
that God is out ahead of all of us doing work in the lives of every person because there's not a single person who's lost on God. Not one person is lost on God. Like he knows the best, loves the most. Bottom line, no matter what's going down, not one of them is lost on him. And sometimes what ends up happening is they're praying to God to do something, and we're the answer to their prayers, but we're too busy. Or we're the answer to their prayers, but, you know, we don't live here. And I didn't want to see that with these students at UGA, and I really don't want to see it with you. Because all those people need you. Because God's out ahead of you doing work in their life. And they're praying for help. And you may be the answer to those prayers. And the only way you're going to answer those prayers is if you actually leave at some point tonight or some other night, whatever. But if you grow convicted of the fact that you are here, not as a student at William and Mary. Surprise. Like, yeah, that's your, that's your, that's your, uh, your, your principal vocation. But if you've confessed that Jesus is Lord, you have another vocation that's bigger than that vocation. You know the Latin, when you do the etymology word vocation, it just means calling, right? You have a calling. It's bigger than we need. And you walk by it, or drive by it, or ride a bus, sit next to a part of that calling every day. And what I have seen is when college students take that part seriously, like cities can change. Cities. Cities can literally change. So I get this from the story in Scripture. Um, the Israelites found themselves uh, exiled. And so they were now people without a home. And they're living under Babylonian rule. And it's a rough life. And things aren't what they should be. And it is not home. Them. Their identity is all kinds of screwed up. Uh, their, their life of worship is screwed up. Uh, everything about their life is not what they signed up for. And now here they are living under the oppressive rule of a Babylonian king in a place that is not their home. And they could have checked out and waited. And maybe God knew that's what they were willing to do. So then God sends them a letter. And he sends them a letter through a prophet named Jeremiah. And I want to hear, I want to read you what, what, what it says. It's Jeremiah 29, verses 4 through 7, for anybody who wants to like, write that down and take notes. This is what the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, says to all the exiles I deported from Jerusalem to Babylon. All right, now we're going to do some call and response stuff because um, it keeps us all awake. All right, here's what it says. It says, build houses and live in them. Everybody say build. Build. All right, plant gardens and eat their produce. Everybody say plant. 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 We're not going to do this part. Take wives and have sons and daughters. I'm not going to say take. Um, uh, take wives for your sons and give your daughters to men in marriage so that they may bear sons and daughters. But we are going to say bear. Say bear. 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 Multiply there. Do not increase. And here's the thing. Seek the welfare of the city I have deported you to. Pray to the Lord on its behalf. Listen to this. For when it has prosperity, you will prosper. You see that part? When it prospers, you will prosper. Like God is tying his people's wholeness and well-being and prosperity, shalom, peace, to their willingness to 
to pray for and work for and build and plant and bear and seek in that city to call it home. And if they were to call it home, their lives would flourish too if the place of that city, if that city would flourish as well. See, this, this is you and me though. This is the deal. Like the heart of God's never changed. Like that's an Old Testament thing. I get it. Uh, but, but God's never, he's never changed his heart. God has always been a missionary God. You know this, right? Like he's always been pursuing folks, right? Like that's what missionaries, what missionaries do, they pursue. God has been pursuing us, and we know that he has because he put skin on and became a human to pursue us. And then he did everything we couldn't do and wouldn't do and shouldn't do so that we could have life with him. That's what he's doing in the incarnation of Jesus. He's always been pursuing. He's always been pursuing. And when people who say, hey, take me. To the God who pursues, God says to them, cool, now let's go do that together for other people. We call that joining God in his mission. And guess what that's not for? It's not for residents. It's for you. Now, I'm not a meticulous sovereignty guy, if you know what that $10 means. Um... So if you do know what that means, okay, so if you don't know what that means, short version, not class on Calvinism. That's not where we're going. Um, how to say this? Uh, I don't believe that, like, everything that happens happens for a reason. I believe God gives reason to everything that happens. I don't believe, like, you spilled coffee on your shirt and God was like, called it. You know, like, I don't think, uh, I, don't, I don't think it works that way. It's just the way where I see the thing, I don't see it that way. Like, you fall and, and you'd be like, you, you know, God ordained that to happen. Now, that would be cool and good and easy, especially for those of us who embarrass ourselves in front of other people a lot. Like, like God, God, you know, that was just, like predestined by God that I did that. Um, like, I don't believe in the meticulous sovereignty. Here's what I do believe in. I do believe that you were here largely because God is at work in your life for something bigger than your degree. Yeah. That I do believe. Like, I'm down with that. Because I do believe in sovereignty. It's not the meticulous part. Like, that I believe. Paul would even say in Acts 17 that we, in him, we live and move and have our being. He's quoting a, um, he's quoting a Athenian prophet, a uh, poet there. Uh, so he's quoting like a godless poet, and it's in the Bible, which is like super cool. But he's doing that. And he says, so that he's not far from each one of us. Like, here's the thing. Like, I don't know what y'all are majoring in. Y'all are all smarter than me. Uh, that I do know. Like, I know that too. Like, y'all are far smarter than I am. But this I do know. That I know that I know. That you are not here just to get a degree. No way. You're here because God is at work in Williamsburg and you've got something to do with it. That I, that I know. And you're not, like, like I'm a stubborn dude. Like, you're not gonna, you're not gonna convince me otherwise for a lot of reasons. Uh, for one, theologically, and for two, I've just seen it. I've seen it. I've seen it. I saw it in Danny. Danny, raise your hand. Saw it in Danny. So, um, I'm not going to embarrass anybody else for separate day. So, God made me do it. So, I, so, this is all, like, ordained. So, I, I saw it in Danny when Danny and I met for coffee, and she was like, hey, I draw stuff. That's not what she said. It was more articulate than that. But I was like, hey, I'm an artist. I said, that's cool. You're an artist. Uh, we house people, and they need art on their walls. And so, she was like, I can do that. And she did that. And it, like, that mama that you saw in there with the little kid holding on to her leg. I don't know if you saw her. Uh, her mama, that's that's name. Her name is Jennifer, and her son's name is Christian, and he lives with autism. He lives with ASD. And 
Danny could have just like drawn, drew something, but Danny looked at me and said, what, what is he like? Tell me about the family. And she listened. And she was listening for where God was at work. She didn't know this, but this is what was happening. She was listening for where God was working in her life. That's why I was telling her that. And Christian, lived with ASD, loves colors. And so she made this extraordinarily colorful like, picture. And now it sits prominently in their room, in their living room. Their new living room. Like the first living room they've ever had. That's what I'm talking about. I'm not talking about this grandiose stuff. I'm not talking about like, you can change the world. I'm not talking about that. Like you can't, so don't. But you, you, can, you can change somebody. And it's got to start with you. And it can start with you if you believe that God has called you here at this place, at this moment, for that purpose. And you may walk by it every day. You may walk by it. Uh, you may sit by that person uh, in class. You may sit by that person on the bus. You may see that person drive by. You may see that person in a church building. You may see that person at, taking your order at the restaurant. You may see that person uh, paying or taking, uh, checking you out at the counter. I don't know. But here's what I do know. Is that God's at work in this city, and you're invited and called into that work somewhere. The question is whether or not you believe it or whether or not you're just going to go ahead and get your degree. I'm, I'm pro-degree. Um, but not at the expense of missing your call. So don't like think that calling has to do with um, like knowing what you're going to do for the rest of your life. Calling means vocation. Vocation means what it is you're doing with God right now. That could change later. I was a stockbroker in a previous life. Um, I was a campus minister which was far cooler than being a lead pastor. Um, I was a youth minister, which was not cool at all. Uh, <laughs> all, the, all those of you are like, I want to be a youth minister. Like, yeah, again, God ordained me. So um, I don't know what you're going to be, a teacher. So raise your hand if you're going to be a teacher. Come on, raise your hand. All right, okay, some of you are like, I'm going to teach. Um, here's the thing about you being a teacher. You may be the only person who ever prays for a kid in that room. Like, God may have never, ever heard that kid's name mentioned in the gates of heaven except it coming from your lips. Like, that's huge. Raise your hand if you eat at the dining hall. Did you know that many of the people at the dining hall live far under a living wage? Did you know that many of those people who take your order at the dining hall are maybe working a second job, too, and they're doing everything they can to make ends meet? How can you join God in mission there? You can stop and know their name. See, what I'm not saying is like you got to do all this grandiose stuff. Yeah, if you've got talent, time and talents, and you want to do like, like, like Danny's doing, like going to Pineapple Inn and, and start doing some music stuff with the kids and with the mamas and the daddies who live in a hotel and try to bring a little life into that place. So you can do those kind of beautiful movements. I had a student. Uh, his name was Ben at UGA, and he was, uh, he was Hindu. He came to faith. And he, was, and he became a Christian, and he was so on fire for Jesus, and he liked to bake. Uh, he used to be a hype guy at a club, and um, I don't know why. He used to bake cookies late at night, if you know what I mean. And so that's so he, so he, would, take, true story, so he would take his baking skills, and he would do it late at night, if you know what I mean. And he would, he would start baking them in the morning, and he would take them to all of the halls of all of like, the stressed-out schools, which at UGA was like almost all of them. And he would just like give out cookies to students. And it wasn't like, Jesus loves you, Jesus loves you, Jesus loves you. It wasn't like that. It wasn't lame. Like, it wasn't lame like that. No offense if you. <laughs> like, that's good too. But I mean, it's like, like, his whole point was, yay, I, I can make cookies. Like, that's what I can do, and here's a cookie. And then he 
would have conversations with people, and then he would end up here praying with people. And then people started coming to our gatherings because they had a cookie. You know, it was this cool thing, a beautiful thing. I'll tell you another thing. Those people that I was telling you that work in the restaurants or work in the dining hall and, and they're going to clean this room when we're done, they're the people who make the least amount of money on campus, who are probably the most vulnerable of anybody on campus. You know that. We used to call them at UGA, we used to call them the hiding faces. They were the faces who made the campus the campus, but nobody ever paid attention to who they were. So here's what we decided to do. We decided that we were going to set aside a day and call it Hiding Faces Day. And for like every week in our devotional, we would take a picture. We were creepy because we would take pictures of them. And we'd ask their permission sometimes, and sometimes we wouldn't, and we would blur their face out because it would be creepy to not do that. And that would probably get you rested down. But we did it back then. And we would take pictures, and at the end of every song, we would post their picture to the wall. And, and we would post our picture to the wall almost in kind of this liturgical kind of way, like this very solemn way. And we would pray for them as we'd post it to the wall, whoever the people were in that picture. And then we had on Hiding Faces Day, we found out the names of every person who made below living wage at University of Georgia. It was like 4,500 people. And we wrote cards to every one of them for like weeks. And when we couldn't get all the names, we would write names, we would write like, Cards, big old, we took big cards, we made the big ones, you know, like not little people, but we, we did big, absurd, like wrote, like, wrote, like big cards, like Allison pregnant big, like big <laughs> cards, and we delivered them with a bow and with cookies, because Ben liked cookies, and we would take cookies to these places, and we prayed for them all day, we delivered them all day, and I can't tell you how many lives that touched, but I can't tell you how it changed the college students, because not one of my college student brothers and sisters walked by them the same way again. That's mission. Are you with me? Yeah. I'm trying to expand your imagination. Mission is just simply joining God in what he's doing right now in this place. It's not something you do in some foreign field, and it's not some grandiose thing you do like start a nonprofit. It is slowing down and tending to the people that are here and start planting seeds and start building, building lives and building hope. It's seeking their welfare. It's praying for them. But it is about living your life differently and seeing yourself differently on campus. You are not your grades, you're not your performance, you're not your major, you're not your like, social status. You are someone who is known by God and loved by God just as you are and not as you should be. And if you've confessed that Jesus is Lord, he's invited you to join him in making sure other people know the same thing. And you can do it right now. I'm inviting you to. But it's not my invitation. I'm only here to tell you that because I know that's what God wants to say. He's always trying to say. You're here because God's at work. You've got a role. If you don't know what that is, ask him. If you want to start with your talents, start there. If you draw, paint, do music, or if you're just a good listener, or if you're a great talker. For those of you who don't like to listen and like to talk, true story. Go spend time in an assisted living home or a nursing home at a hospice center and paint nails and be with people whose lives are coming to them. Talk their freaking ear off. And they will love you for it. Because nobody talks to them. There's nothing you're going to be able to say that God can't redeem and use and put into work and put into play into lives that matter. And you just have to decide whether or not you're going to actually make the time to do so. 
And for those of you who are too stressed to do anything beyond this campus, then maybe just start with the dining hall and slow down. Pay attention and see. And get their name. And go to that person every time. Wait in, long, wait in longer lines to go to that person that you go to every day and say their name every day. And ask them how they're doing. And then listen. Be that person. And you will find what God is doing. And you will bear witness to that just by simply being present. Because that person matters just as they are. Not as they should be. Do that too. So here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to invite you to silence. And I'm going to ask you to ask God. Not like, why am I here? But like, what am I to do while I am doing other things that you've called me to do while I'm here? And here's what I want to ask you to do. You close your eyes and somebody's face comes to mind. I want you to dwell on that face. Somebody's name comes to mind. I want you to dwell on that name. If an activity... If a category or a description of people come to mind, I want you to dwell on that description. Homelessness, sexual assault, sex trafficking. I want you to dwell on that and then talk to God about that. And just know that it's not going to end tonight. You're going to have to go forward and discern this. But you need to know that discernment happens as you go. So you're going to have to do something different tomorrow. I need you to, because when you graduate here, and you leave Williamsburg and you go somewhere else, I'm going to be left here. My son is being raised here. I'm asking you as God's people to join God and join us, and let's join together, and let's make Williamsburg more just and equitable and whole place for the good of the citizens who live here, for our good, and to the glory of God. You can do that. So, spend some time and ask out.